Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Elvin Taylor. Welcome and thank you for joining us today. The next hour is devoted to learning something more, not just about the world of shoes and sealing wax, as my lovely bride wishes me to say, but about how, what, and why we believe as we do. A time for the open-minded, willing to challenge some of those old ideas behind what we think we know, who we are, and who we might just become. I'm Eldon Taylor, and this is Provocative Enlightenment. All right, our chat room is open, and my partner, Ravinder, awaits you there now. You can log on by going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. We do have a great chat room, so Ravinder, tell us all about it, please. Yes, we have a wonderful chat room, and, you know, everyone contributes their ideas. I learn more from all of them, and so that makes it really cool, but I'd like to learn from you, too, and then... Maybe we can all share some more ideas, so do come join us. That is provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. All right. In this week's spotlight, I wish to bring your attention to those seemingly small miracles that we often miss in our lives. Let me begin with a story. One night as I drifted off to sleep, I reflected on unexplained events in my own life and wondered, what does that mean? The next morning as I dressed, I heard someone on the television in the, ne- in the room next door saying, It's amazing. The window washer fell 500 feet and he lived. That story and more next. I asked myself, What does that mean? What does it mean to the window washer? How will he incorporate this in his life? That day, as I drove home from the grocery store, I noticed a young man and his child. The weather was finally spring-like, and this fellow was working in a tiny garden. He appeared to be breaking up some small clods, but with repeated blows, uh, using a hoe. I thought back to my first home and garden. Such pride, such ambition, and such is the great American dream. In the United States, most of us plan on owning our own little piece of heaven. After all, one's home is their castle. As young people, we plan to buy our first vehicle, and our personal consumption cycle begins. So we make our plans, our dreams, and begin to live them out to the best of our ability. Our education, our clothes, automobiles, home, furniture, group memberships, and so on are all a part of our dreams. The food we eat the stops at that fancy coffee shop for a latte, the cell phones we carry, and on and on are also part of our dreams. I could go on, but let's consider another way to look at this dream. Are we consuming or are we being consumed? Have we lost meaning? Have we lost the ability to recognize the important things? Is there a now moment where the heart is not just beating, as Henry Wadsworth Longfellow says, and I quote, and our hearts, though stout and brave, still like muffled drums are beating, funeral marches to the grave. Life has many twists and turns, and seldom do we find the road to be straight and narrow. The same can be said for the choices we have to make as well. We are sometimes tossed about like leaves in a windstorm, bouncing from one event to the next, and despite our efforts to take control, we remain unable to shut down the prevailing winds. In the midst of all of this, we can find ourselves experiencing the seemingly impossible and not noticing it at the same time. Why? How does that happen? And what does it mean? In my book, What Does That Mean?, I openly share my experiences that are simply not possible. On numerous occasions, I've been approached by others, many others, telling me of their own seemingly impossible experiences. I have come to believe that everyone has at least one, but because we are unable to explain it, we discount or ignore it, we fail to incorporate it in our life's understanding. How about you? How many experiences have you had 
that defy a so-called scientific explanation. In my book, I sought to show not only how common this is, but how misunderstood these signals are. For it is clear to me that these anomalous experiences are in fact signals indicating meaningful information, sometimes affirming our intent, and sometimes simply saying something like, choose once again, but always informing us that there's more. That said, these signals are always expressing the fact that there is much more to life than the popular idea that we are simply meat machines that have somehow randomly evolved in a Darwinian evolution. In my view, knowledge has no power if it ignores experience. My thoughts anyway, what are yours, Rav? Um, You know, I I think that's really cool. Um, The more you pay attention to the extraordinary experiences, the more you'll have them. But it's not necessarily that you have more of them. It's the fact that you pay attention and remember them. That was the thing that I got out of your book more than anything else. You know, you have all of these stories and they sounded fantastic. Um, But then the more I thought of it, the more I discovered, you know, actually I've had a fair share of my own and you've had so much feedback from your readers saying exactly the same thing. You know, we've heard some really, really incredible stories and I think they are a part of who we are. They actually turn us from being just animals or machines into fully living human beings. So I think it's vital to pay attention to them. Amen. Very well said. And I'll tell you what, today's guest has a book, Physicians Untold Stories. It brought tears to my eyes repeatedly. It's an incredible, well, I'm getting ahead of myself. Okay, every week I read some of your letters as our way of involving you while paying respect to the very important role you play in making this show successful. Last week our show was all about resolution solutions and the role self-sabotage plays in undercutting our best-made plans. Martha wrote, love your show and especially this week's story on self-sabotage. Alan wrote, wow, I never thought before how letting someone do things for you can actually limit your confidence about doing it yourself. CB wrote, my grandmother was married for 50 years. I remember what a shock it was after my grandfather died and my grandmother had no idea how to gas up the car. Kathy wrote, what a great show. I loved all the stories you and Ravinder shared, and I discovered one of my own self-sabotage buttons while listening to you both. Love your show. Moving on, Kat wrote, thank you in general for all you do at Intertalk. Also, please thank Heldon for me in regards to creating the technology. I am loving the new programs I just added to my collection. The ones I chose with music are very beautiful and easy to listen to on repeat, especially the piano on the declutter program. It's one of my favorites too, Kat. Richard wrote, I have learned so much and still have much to learn. This I know, your programs simply work. Rosie wrote, Keep on doing what you do as you are magnificent at it. Love to you and your beautiful family, Eldon. Well, thank you, Rosie, and right back at you. Terry wrote, I have purchased your book, Gotcha. I also have several of your Intertalk CDs. Somehow I got taken off of your newsletter list. So I signed up again today. With all the fake news on TV, it is good to know you are still broadcasting and keeping us all thinking and helping us stay aware. Thank you so very much for your good work. Well, thank you, Terry. And for all of you out there, our newsletter is free. Just go to eldentaylor.com and get yours. All right, that's all the time we're going to take for letters today, but I do invite you to opine by emailing me at Eldon, that's E-L-D-O-N, at EldonTaylor.com, or by joining me on Facebook. We sincerely appreciate your comments and feedback. Now to this week's show, Physicians Untold Stories with Scott J. Kolbaba, M.D. Doctors work in life and death situations every day, but what happens when they encounter something even they can't explain scientifically? Dreams foretelling future events, apparitions, and other miraculous experiences. What explains this sort of event? We'll ask our guest that today, but first let me tell you a little about him. Dr. Scott Kolbada is a doctor of internal medicine at Wheaton, Illinois. 
After being awarded a degree in economics from Cornell College and serving with the Marine Corps Reserves, he completed his medical degree at the University of Illinois and graduated with honors. Dr. Kobaba interned with Rush Presbyterian St. Luke's Medical Center and completed his residency at the Mayo Clinic. He is a member of the Alpha Omega Alpha Honor Medical Society. After a miraculous experience where he was given divine knowledge that a patient needed a lung scan, which ultimately saved his life, Kobaba became intrigued by unexplained phenomenon, making doctors see their professional careers. He spent three years compiling an anthology of amazing occurrences titled Physicians Untold Stories, and I'm going to guarantee you you're not going to read this book without tears in your eyes. It is a it it has got to be the best one I've well it is the best one I've read this year. It's got to be one of the best I've read in a very long time. So on that, let's get the man himself in here. Welcome to Provocative Enlightenment, Dr. Scott Cobalda. Thanks, Eldon. It's great to be here, and thanks for those wonderful comments about the book. And I hope your readers don't think that they're all sad stories. They're they're pretty moving, and that's what brings tears to my eyes still when I when I tell them sometimes. Oh yeah, no. And when the tears came to my, it wasn't about the. It was the inspiration. It was the. You know, it was. How do you say this? You know, it is very easy. You're a man of science. My yeah. training is that way too. It is very easy to become sometimes jaded, and there are. Forgive me, but there are those out there that have got. Uh, some handy this, that, or the other. I think of him as a modern snake oil salesman <laughs> peddling some kind of spirituality. Yeah. And, and, and you know, it flies in the face of all logic. It's like, how can anyone ever believe that? So when you, when you get into that place, and maybe I get into it more often than I'd like, um, and then you encounter something like your book, and you have these true stories, and they, you know... They are the miracles that just bring goosebumps to your back and tears to your eyes. It it is really refreshing, and I mean that sincerely. It's, it it is a fantastic read. Thank you, thank you. It was fun writing it, and uh, there are many times when I was in the process of uh, typing out on my computer, you know, the the story, and tears would be streaming down my eyes. This is such an incredible experience that this doctor had, and. Uh, <laughs> You know, there are. No, I wanted to include a number of doctors because it's. I think it's more credible when you have uh, a whole host of doctors. We've got 26 or 27 doctors' uh, stories in the book, and I think it's always a little more credible when you have that many doctors that uh, have uh, unbelievable experiences, and they're all different. Uh, they're, 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 so it's an amazing. Um, it was an amazing experience for me to get these stories from doctors, which they don't share with most people at all. No, I know, and, and and you know, and and I agree with your credibility story. You know, it's it's like putting twenty-seven witnesses on a stand in a court of law, all arguing essentially for the same premise. It is it is very compelling, um, but you know, individually, the stories really impact you as well. Let me ask you this: You heard today's spotlight. What role do you think our experience should play in our understanding of who we are and our role in the universe? Well, you know, I, I, I was when I listened to your your beginning, uh, it was amazing because that's what the book is all about uh, about uh, uh, choices, seeing the impossible around you, uh, recognizes coincidences that uh, uh, that you may not have recognized before, and it's amazing when I tell people some of these stories. And you know, I I love to to tell the stories because uh, I think they have uh, such meaning, and I think they help people realize that there is something else out there that helps them, that looks after them. And when I tell the stories to people, they begin to recognize their own coincidences. And I remember telling one of my patients, and I'm always, I always seem to run behind because <laughs> I'm seeing the patient for one purpose, and then I'm telling stories uh, and running a little behind in my schedule. But there was one uh, patient that, that told me, you know, after I told him some of the stories, he said, you know, I thought it was a coincidence, but I had, a, I had an experience like that, too. He said, my uh, daughter was going to uh, do an internship in New York City. And, you know, we're not very well off, but uh, she was looking for an apartment for a three-month internship, and she couldn't find one. They were too, they were too expensive. And one day I had, a, dr I had a, a dream one night that one of my friends that I had known, oh, maybe 15 or 20 years ago, called, uh, 
communicated with me somehow. And I didn't think much of it. But the next day, a strange thing happened. He called me on the phone. And he said, you know, I I've, uh, haven't talked with you for a long time. Uh, I wanted to get back to you and tell you a little bit about uh, my life. I just had the feeling I needed to call you. And I've been a very successful businessman. I've done some businesses in New York. I'm now retired. I live in a three-bedroom apartment in downtown New York all by myself. And uh, uh, I've been, you know, very, very successful. And so my, my patient said, well, you know, my daughter's looking for a place to stay in downtown New York. Do you think you might be able to put her up? And he said, oh, I'd love to. You know, have her give me a call. She can have a bedroom of her own. I'll take care of her food. We'll have some good times here in New York and see some shows. And sure enough, that's what happened. And he said to me, I thought all that was a coincidence, but now after reading your book, I realize there are coincidences that happen all the time. If we just look for them, we can find them. And I think, you know, that was a spectacular coincidence. And the stories in my book are the spectacular coincidences. But I think you were right at, at the beginning, Eldon, when you said, there are coincidences that happen to us all the time, little things. We bump into a person that we needed to talk to, or we may, uh, uh, you know, say something to an individual that changes his life. And, and those kinds of things happen all the time, and we don't realize them. I think if we look for those kinds of things, we'll see them. And that was one of the purposes of the book, to realize that there are those things that happen all the time. You know, and I think one of the things that gets overlooked, I, I have a a friend who was former chair of the chemistry department at the University of Utah. He's retired now, but he used to talk to me about serendipity in science, the synchronicity of, of you know, scientific investigations and, and how little nudges might give rise to these huge breakthroughs. And of course, he had many examples, mm-hmm. but the point is, it isn't just in our everyday life, like a situation such as what you're... T- it's in everything that we do. It's in whatever endeavor we're involved in. We seem to have these little nudges that we call them coincidence. Unfortunately, I think most people ignore them, but that actually add meaning to our lives. Absolutely. Absolutely. There are many doctors that have had uh, these little coincidences that happened to them and, and uh, that, changed, that changed their lives. Uh, uh, I can think of one uh, one physician, John Showalter, who's a hand surgeon, who uh, was uh, doing medical his medical school training at the University of Iowa, and he wanted to go there for his residency, but he didn't get in. He was that was the dis- greatest disappointment of his life, and uh, but he did get into the University of Indiana. But so it turned out at, at that time, the University of Indiana was one of the two schools in the nation that was offering a brand new program called microsurgery. Microsurgery is a technique where you attached little tiny blood vessels and little tiny nerves and, and uh, other structures uh, using a microscope. Mm-hmm. Now, they didn't have this at the University of Iowa. And when Dr. Showalter got to uh, University of Indiana, he, he, he loved this technique, and he, he championed it, and he, he took it, uh, it became part of his practice. And he was the first doctor in, the, in, the, in Illinois to reattach a hand that was cut off a, in a factory by a young guy. And he was able to do this because he had... Uh, taken this, this class and this course at the University of Indiana that wasn't offered at Iowa. And wow. he says to me now that he recognized that the little disappointments in his life many times turn out to be the blessings. And that was, a, you know, what coincidence it was that he ended up there, but that was where he, he was supposed to be, to be able to do the kind of surgery he did throughout his whole life. And uh, so I think there are, and, and there are, like, as you mentioned, Lots of little serendipitous uh, things that happen to us that if we think about it, we'll recognize that those may be a little bit more than just coincidental or serendipity. Amen. Let let me ask you this, Doctor. I I have a a friend on the East Coast that is a neurologist, and uh, he had his own epiphanies a few years ago and was unable not to incorporate him in his medical practice, and he took some real heat. He was a major hospital um, at the time, and a very prominent neurologist, but he ended up incorporating his spiritual awareness, if you will, some of the miracles and things in his practice. Have you done that in your own practice? Yes, I, I have, and, and, and many of the doctors that I interviewed have, have done that also. Um, you know, there are, are little things that that nag at you sometimes. Uh, my partner, for example, uh, tells a story about uh, he does a lot of pre-op testing on, on patients and pre-op physicals before uh, 
major joint surgery. He works with the orthopedic surgeons quite a bit. He had one case where uh, he did the physical history, everything seemed to be okay, and he had this nagging uh, little voice in the back of his head that he needed to do a, a, a treadmill stress test on the individual. So he called him up later on after the exam, and he said, you know, I've been thinking about you. I think we need to do a treadmill stress test. And the person was a little resistant. I don't want to do that, you know. And he said, well, listen, we've got to do this, otherwise I can't clear for surgery. So he did the stress test. He failed it badly, went for an angiogram. He had major coronary disease that would have killed him had he gone through a stress like a surgery. So my partner, uh, Dr. Bourne, uh, always says to me, I never ignore I, I've learned that that little voice that uh, tells you something, you do it. And, and you don't ignore that. And I think uh, many of the doctors uh, uh, ha- have that little, that little naggy sensation. And I think um, well, I wanted to make people aware of, of that. That can happen in their lives, too. And, that, and, and there are things that they may be told, oh, that's a subtle little thing. Uh, maybe a, a, say a nice word to someone or, or uh, you know, do something uh, uh, good or, or go over to someone's house uh, tonight and, and uh, talk with them. And some of those things, I think, are coming from above. And uh, if, we, if, we, if we pay attention to that, I think we can do a lot more good in the world, and, and it'll help us also. So, yes, myself, my partners, and, and many doctors do listen to those little, little uh, uh, voices that uh, help us uh, do the right thing. Are you open with your patients about this? I mean, there was a time that if you were, and, you know, the patient had a dismissive attitude toward you, reported it, it was um, heat city, to be nice about it. <laughs> well, you know, uh, before the book, I would, ne- I would never talk to patients about these kinds of things, and most doctors wouldn't. Uh, it's a little embarrassing to say I had a dream about you, or I had a premonition that I needed to do something, and... Um, Again, uh, that's one of the titles of the book. Uh, it, it's, it's a subtitle, uh, Miraculous Experiences Doctors Are Hesitant to Share with Their Patients or Anyone Just Because They uh, Are Afraid They'll Be Criticized or Chastised. I think this book will help uh, all of us realize that we can discuss those kinds of things with patients, and patients can discuss them with us. They can discuss their inner feelings, their spiritual feelings, and uh, uh, so I, I hope this opens up a new uh, uh, communication between doctors and, and patients. I, I I would share that. I think you know, for all intent and purposes, that's probably. I mean, the original healing practice incorporated that, and we've gotten become so secular that I think it's been it's damaged the intimacy of healthcare that is so important where trust is concerned, and and if for no other reason than simply placebo factors you know when i Absolutely. trust my physician when i when i have that relationship uh it makes all the difference in the world uh, to my healing process yes it does yes it does and you know i was amazed that this many doctors came came forward and gave me these these incredible stories that for which they could be criticized and i i i thought to myself why would all these doctors come forward at this time and and tell me these miraculous stories when they hadn't you know I had one doctor come up to me and say, you can't tell anyone this story because they'll think I'm crazy. And I said, okay, okay. And, and after a while, he finally, he finally gave in. But uh, how, did I, you, you know, how did you get him to participate? I mean, did you just write everybody that you graduated from class with? Or, I mean, how did you find them? Well, you know, uh, I'm, I'm, um, uh, I've, I've been a doctor uh, in this local hospital for about 30, 35 years. I know lots of the docs uh, in the hospital and lots of docs I've, I've worked with over the years. And I, I, I went up to everyone that I knew, and I said, you know, do you have a story? I'm, I'm looking for stories about uh, incredible things that you can't explain scientifically. And I've, I've gotten, I had, it was amazing the number of stories that I got. And, you know, some of the crustiest, uh, um, uh, you know, uh, stuck up, as you might say, doctors, uh, yeah. had some amazing experiences, and you'd never expect them to be that as spiritual uh, as, as they were. So, but, but then, you know, after I got the story, uh, I think the reason that they allowed me to print these stories when they hadn't been, been told uh, before to anyone but their families in many cases is because another one of the principles I discovered about doctors, and I, and I mentioned in the book, and I, I, I mentioned that doctors, most doctors are what I call sappy do-gooders. They want to change the world. They want to cure cancer. They want to help everyone that they see. They want to do some good in the world every single day. 
I think they recognized by telling these stories that people would get an idea that there is something else out there. Something loves us unconditionally. Uh, and that uh, something, uh, you know, they wanted to give people hope. People, there are lots of, there's lots of sadness in the world, especially in the medical field. You diagnose cancers and some bad things, and, and people become terminal. Uh, it's it's uh, uh, wonderful to be able to, to give people hope. And I think that feeling that they wanted to help people overcame the negative, uh, the potential negative of people saying, you know, this is a crazy doctor. He tells this crazy story about a dream. And I think right. that's why uh, virtually every doctor that I, that I got a story from allowed me to, to publish it and print it. That's great. We've got a hard break that we have to come or, or take. When we come back, I'm going to ask you about some of these stories, but I also want to talk to you about the nature of divine intervention. We're speaking with Dr. Scott J. Kolbaba about his life and book, Physicians Untold Stories. Listen, I can't, I can't give a higher endorsement than to tell you, you must read this book. And if tears don't come to your eyes at some point in it, you give me a call here at the station. I'll send you back your money, whatever you paid for it. You can get the book online and at all major booksellers. Now, we have a video for you in our chat room today featuring our guest discussing miracles witnessed by doctors. You can view it by joining the chat room, and you can do that by simply going to provocativeenlightenment.com forward slash chat. Do stay play tuned. Do please stay tuned. We'll be right back. You're listening to Provocative Enlightenment with Elton Taylor. Do you feel like you've become lost in the funhouse, only seeing the reflection of yourself, past, future, and present, but unable to find the real you? I invite you to step through the doorway and onto a pathway leading to understanding of your mind, your choices, and the influences that surround you. Read Eldon Taylor's New York Times bestselling book, Choices and Illusions. Now expanded, updated, and revised, it will provide you with real-life examples of how you can break free of your current perceptions and begin your journey to How High is Up. Get your copy today from all bookstores or online from Amazon.com or Barnes & Noble. Unlock the power of your mind. This is Provocative Enlightenment with Alvin Taylor. Welcome back. If you've just joined us, we're chatting with Dr. Scott J. Kolbaba about his life and wonderful book, Physicians Untold Stories. Now we ask our guests for their favorite music, music that has some true significance to them. Music psychology is a new interest of mine, and it's a field of research with practical relevance in many areas. Okay, we just played some of Peter, Paul, and Mary performing If I Had a Hammer. Why is this music important to you, Doctor, and how does it instruct us about who you are? 
Well, I'm probably aging myself, Elton, <laughs> to give you that song, but I love that song. And I think the, uh, what it means to me, uh, and, and some of the things that I mentioned in the book are uh, the, the doc, many of the doctors, most of the doctors, are what I call sappy do-gooders. They want to do some good in the world. And I think uh, this song reminds me that uh, our, one of our jobs, I think, in the world is to do as much good as we can, to help as many people in little ways and big ways, and uh, uh, to, to spread the word that there is something else out there, that it's a secular world, and, and uh, spread the good news that uh, there is a God. There is someone, the higher force, uh, and uh, uh, I think my job in writing this book was to uh, ring the bell and, and uh, spread, spread the word, and that's what I tried to do. Excellent. Let me ask you this about divine intervention. You know, we read, you, you heard the setup piece. We read a piece about somebody that falls uh, 40 stories from a, a building and survives it, a window washer. It right. should have killed him. Uh, and then we read another story that same day about, you know, a uh, gathering at a wedding and a perfectly healthy tree that an arborist says, you know, I don't have any explanation for why it fell, crashes down and kills five members of that wedding party. We were quick to jump on the one story. Wow, that had to be divine intervention that saved that man from that, you know, whatever, 40, 50-story right. fall. Right. But then we tend to ignore that. Is there some kind of favoritism that goes on with this divine intervention? Is there some kind of balance? I mean, do, what do we have? How do you integrate that? You see death and dying on a regular basis. You've had the interventions that have saved someone's life, but certainly you've also wondered why this one and not that one. You know, that that's very true, Eldon. And, and, you know, that goes back to the old question, you know, why do bad things happen to good people? And uh, I think this is a world where uh, we have our own free agency to do what we want, and, and that, that means that, you know, if we're driving a car, occasionally someone will hit us, and occasionally we'll, we'll be killed, or someone will be killed. And um, I think if you have a world that, uh, uh, one of the blessings of, of, of this life, I think, is to be able to make your own decisions and do what you want, but that carries with it the problems that are associated with that. Driving a car, you may, you may be hurt. Uh, going outside, um, you know, you, something could happen to you versus staying inside. So, uh, Again, why do bad things happen to good people? I think it's, it's just one of those things that happens. I think, um, you know, why are some people spared? I'm not sure I know that answer. I'm not sure we, any of us do. We'll, I hope we'll know it uh, sometime. But I think uh, there's a higher authority. There's a God up there that has a purpose for us. And uh, uh, sometimes if, if we haven't fulfilled our purpose, uh, we, we may be favored, and we may be the one that uh, falls 20 stories and, and, and lives. But um, uh, those are all mysteries that I don't think any of us know for sure. I do know that many of the doctors have witnessed and, I, and, and seen divine intervention, that things that, that shouldn't have happened uh, for the good do happen for the good. And I think doctors are privileged to see these things because they're so close to death and dying and, and uh, uh, much, much of their lives. And I, I think we're, we're privileged to be able to witness some of these things probably more than other people because of that, that uh, special uh, charge that we have. You know, I think one of the things that a lot of people don't understand is as a physician, you need to have a sort of separation from your patient. You want to have that relationship, but at the same time, you can't become too attached. Or if you lose the patient, you have a, you know, it is, it's an injurious to you. Uh, how do you maintain that balance, Dr. Kobaba? Well, you know, uh, Eldon, I think everyone talks about that, but you do love your patients. You do get close to your patients. When a patient dies, you do, you do, you become sad. You, 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 in many cases, will cry over the death of a patient that you loved. So it's, it's hard to maintain that total separation, and I think one of the, one of the characteristics of a great doctor is a person that can really empathize with their patient and really you know, that does suffer a bit when that patient suffers. Uh, so I think we do. I don't think we're as immune to human emotions uh, as, as people think. 
And I think a great doctor, uh, Dr. Altamari, for example, uh, is a surgeon. And he's a tough surgeon. He's, been, he's seen lots and lots of bad things, and he's gone through lots of people have, you know, have died and, and had bad things happen uh, you know, uh, that are under his care because of just the illnesses that they had. But he came up to me one day with tears in his eyes, and he said, what happened to our patient? We had a mutual patient that died suddenly uh, after surgery, within hours of surgery. And he felt personally responsible uh, for, that, for that death. It wasn't his fault, of course, at all. The patient was very, very sick and, and just died as a result of a heart problem. But I think great doctors empathize and do feel sad uh, when something bad happens. I don't think we can maintain that, that, uh, that separation as, as much as some people think. We all would hope that our doctors are what you refer to as great doctors. Let's, let's turn to some of the stories that are in your book. Uh, well, there are far too many for us to flesh out of them, and I wouldn't want to do that anyway. I want people to read the book. But of all the stories, what's your favorite? You know, I've got a couple of favorites. Um, I like the Dr. Steve Heim story, the skier. Do you remember that one? I do. I, I can tell that one if you like. Grandma Please Hammond do. Another one you I know, like. share the story. Please. Uh, Dr. Heim is a trauma surgeon and also an orthopedic surgeon. And uh, he was skiing in a, a mountain in Colorado they'd never skied before. And, and he and his wife and his wife's sister got up to the top of the mountain and a blizzard hit when they got to the very top of the mountain. The snow was coming down like crazy. The temperature dropped. The wind was blowing. But they had to ski down. So they started skiing. And, and after a few minutes, they came to a fork in the path. They had to go to the right or the left. There was a grove of trees in the middle. And Dr. Hine went to the right, and the girls went to the left. And uh, I probably shouldn't say this on the air, but, you know, a uh, typical surgeon expects everyone yeah. to follow them. And so when they didn't follow him, he, uh, he then uh, decided to uh, ski through the, the trees and get back to, to the girls because they were waiting for him on the other side of the trees. And, and he was an expert skier, and his five feet of powder snow was easy for him to ski through. And he, as he was skiing through the, through the woods, he suddenly felt a, a premonition of something of dreadful happening, that he was going to be called on to, to do something that was, had life and death implications. And everything became very quiet all of a sudden. And the wind was blowing, the snow was coming down, but it was, he, it was silent. He could hear his breath, he could hear the skis against the snow, and he stopped skiing. He had no idea why he was stopping uh, right in the middle of this grove of trees when the girls he knew were waiting for him on the other side. And he took off his skis, and he stood there for a minute, not knowing what to do. And then he felt this, this overwhelming urge uh, to climb up back up the mountain in the opposite direction of where the girls were waiting for him. So he's climbing and walking and climbing and walking. He has no idea what he's doing, but he still has this overwhelming sense there's something really, really serious happening here. He comes to a big pine tree, and, and, and the trees generally have what's called a tree well, where the snow comes down from the five feet of, of snow down to the base, and there's like a well uh, underneath the tree. And he looked down on the, at the tree in front of him, and he suddenly realized why he was there. There was a skier that was unconscious, covered with snow. He didn't know if he was dead or alive. He brushed off his face. He looked like he was dead. He had a gray face. But Dr. Heim is the trauma surgeon, so he knew exactly what to do. He put his hand on the carotid artery in his neck, and he felt a pulse. So he knew that the person was alive. And what better person to, to take care of a trauma case than a trauma surgeon who hap just Amen. happened to be, be there? So he brushed all the snow off, covered him with his jacket, started yelling for help. One of the last people down the mountain heard his cry for help, came to his side, and he said, what can I do? And, he, and Dr. Heim said, go down to the nearest phone and call the ski patrol. About 20 minutes later, he could see the light from the ski uh, snowmobile and the gurney that was, that was pulling. It came to load the unconscious skier onto the gurney, took him down to the waiting ambulance in the lodge, took him off to the hospital. Uh, Steve then uh, realized how cold it was, put his jackets back on, and met up with the girls who were still waiting for him and uh, skied down the, down the mountain. The next day, he called the uh, hospital, and, and the fellow had, uh, was awake, had lived. Uh, the the uh, surgeons uh, there were impressed with his ability to, to splint a broken leg, which he'd done in the field with a tree branch and some of his clothing. And uh, Steve, then, uh, Dr. Heim, told me, he said, uh, uh, you know, if you don't believe in something higher than you after an uh, experience like that, I don't know what you, what you believe. And... Uh, so no that was kidding. what he would consider a truly divine, and I would consider too a, a divine intervention. So then, then that's one of those, just one of many that you just get goosebumps when you when you read the story. Uh, do you have another you want to share? Or do you want me to direct you to my favorite? What's your favorite? 
The Story of Barbara on page 114. Barbara, let's see. That was, let me just look at my book here and see which one that was. Um, this is this is the girl that had sclerosis, oh, multiple, multiple sclerosis. sclerosis. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Thomas Marshall was the doctor. That, that's, a, that's a great story. Um, uh, Barbara, uh, who also, there's an, a side story to this, to this story, and that is... Uh, when I was researching this story, I couldn't find Barbara, the, the main character in the story. I needed her permission to put it in the book. Right. I couldn't find her. I tried to call a number of numbers. I had all kinds of search engines that I was using uh, to locate these people around the country. And this story happened about 20 years ago, so uh, or even longer, perhaps. And so I couldn't locate her. And I, w- I was getting ready to turn the manuscript into the publisher, and um, uh, all of a sudden I get a phone call. And who was it? Barbara. Barbara. <laughs> what what a coincidence cool. that was. And she said, I just yeah. thought, you know, I, I, I know you'd written uh, written to me a long time ago, months and months ago, it actually was, and I didn't know if she had gotten a letter or not. And she said, I thought, I had a, I, I thought I, I'd better just call you. I had a, a free thing I needed to call you. And, and so she called me, and it was just like a, well, it was a miracle, I think. You know, why would she call yeah. me right when I was ready to turn the manuscript in without her story? So that's right. kind of a background to the story. But the story is, is of a young girl with multiple sclerosis that uh, was progressively getting worse and worse and worse and worse. And she ultimately ended up with a tracheostomy because she couldn't breathe on her own. She ended up in oxygen. She had a collapsed lung. Her muscles were atrophied. She couldn't walk. And she was finally uh, having multiple uh, recurrent infections because she couldn't take deep breaths and ventilate and lung infections in and out of the hospital. And finally, Dr. Marshall and, and her pastor said, you know, it's time to think about hospice. And so they entered her in hospice, which is a wonderful program for people that have very serious illnesses. And one of the criteria for entering in hospice in our area is that they have to have a life expectancy of six months or less. So everyone expected uh, Barbara to die any, any minute of her multiple complications. And, and then there was a radio show uh, that she was featured on, and they asked everyone to pray for her. And she got hundreds and hundreds of letters that weekend after the show was on, uh, indicating that people had, uh, were praying for her. And uh, her aunt brought the big bag of letters uh, in, in, uh, into her, and she was visiting with some of her friends from church. And all of a sudden, as she's uh, uh, lying there, she heard a voice, and it said, uh, My child, get up and walk. No one else heard the voice. And she immediately was able to stand up, get out of bed, take her braces off, take her uh, the oxygen off her tracheostomy. She walked into the living room. Uh, her parents were shocked uh, to see her, obviously, like that. And she was able to do some ballet moves. Uh, she was totally, totally healed. Uh, either that night or the next night, she decided, decided to go to the evening church service. And uh, the funny thing is she didn't have any clothes uh, to wear because she had all pajamas and things like that because she was so, so, so disabled and she wasn't wearing any clothes anymore, so she borrowed some clothes from the neighbor, and so she was late going to church because she had to find some clothing to wear. And uh, when she uh, stood in the back of the church, the pastor saw her and just became speechless. (laughs) He couldn't say anything because he thought he was seeing a ghost because he didn't expect her to to survive, let alone be able to walk to church. And as she was walking down the aisle, there were whispers from all over, Is that Barbara? Look, there's Barbara. I thought she was going to die. And all of a sudden, spontaneously, uh, this congregation started singing Amazing Grace. And that must have been an amazing experience to, to be there, to see her walking down the aisle uh, with everyone singing Amazing Grace. It just kind of brings me to tears just thinking about that. And that was a truly incredible experience. And she's uh, is alive and well to this day. That was about 25 or so years ago. And she's married to a pastor. She's doing good in the world, and that's, uh, she thinks that's what, what her charge is, to, to be uh, uh, a, a person that uh, is, is, uh, uh, helps others throughout her, throughout her life, and she's been doing that. Amazing so. story, and again, just, you know, one of many, many. If, you, uh, if you're listening to this show and you want to be touched, you want to be inspired, you want to feel connected again, I, I can't think of a better way than to pick this book up and read it. Listen, when when you were, you know, investigating this, there were a number of different kinds of phenomena that was involved. Um, you know, let's take on, you know, this, this notion of uh, apparitions. Uh, sure. You know, 
What what do you think is going on? Share a story of apparitions with us. Well, I, you know, I I think um, after after hearing these stories, uh, I, many doctors uh, realize that that people can come back and and participate in our lives uh, for the good. Uh, one story that I particularly love is Graham O'Hanlon. Do you, do you remember reading that one, Eldon? I do. Did you get to that? I do. Uh, Graham O'Hanlon uh, was born in Ireland at a time when the uh, Protestants and the Catholics were uh, uh, fighting each other. And Graham O'Hanlon's uh, parents were particularly spiritual, and, and they were hiding priests in secret rooms in their house. And it was a dangerous time, and uh, uh, Graham O'Hanlon's father decided to send her little girl to the United States to be uh, to grow up there where it was safer. She had family in the United States, and, and she indeed did grow up uh, became a midwife delivering babies, and she became as, as spiritual and religious as the rest of the family. She was the, one of the leaders of, of, of the family in terms of religion and spirituality. She would uh, uh, work for uh, she'd, she'd deliver babies, and she'd, she'd live with the mother for about six weeks afterwards to help out with the with the baby. And sometimes the parents, the people, couldn't afford to pay her, and she would work for nothing. And she'd do things like when she went downtown on a, on a train, she would uh, give money to the the people that were begging on the street, people would laugh at her and say, you know, they'll just spend it for alcohol. And, and she would say, God wants me to be charitable, and they, you know, that's my job. They can do with the money, to, to take the money and do whatever they want. But my job is to, to help them out as much as I can. Well, Grandma Hanlon uh, had a wonderful career delivering babies and, and doing all kinds of good things, and she became older. And when she became older, she lived with... Um, her granddaughter, who is Joan Heitzler. Joan Heitzler is the um, uh, wife of John Heitzler, who is uh, one of the uh, gynecologists locally. And Joan was delivering uh, her fifth child and was having a, a pretty re- easy, easy time of it until after she delivered the child, she had a lot of pain. And um, uh, she was offered the drug of choice at the time, which was called Trilene. It's a mask that uh, goes over the face. It makes uh, the woman unconscious, and then they, they obviously don't feel any pain. And uh, when she was offered that, that mask, uh, Grandma Hanlon, uh, the, mid, the midwife, came into the room. There were two gynecologists in the room, including Joan's husband, who was a gynecologist. And um, she stood at the, head of the end of the bed uh, in a typical uh, sweater vest and a, pink, and a blue polka dot uh, dress, uh, old lady shoes, and a hair up in the, white hair up in the bun. And she shook her head uh, and, and indicated to Joan that she shouldn't take the trilene. And so Joan pushed it away. Even though she was in pain, she pushed the trilene away and, and stayed conscious. Well, no one knew that Joan had eaten a large meal uh, about uh, five minutes before her delivery. And after she pushed the trilene away, within a few seconds, she vomited the whole meal up. Now, had she had the mask on and that happened, she would have aspirated and she may have died from an aspiration pneumonia. Amen. So um, uh, Joan always used to... Uh, kid around and say that you know, they, they, she and Grandma Hamlin had gotten so close that whenever Joan's mother would scold her, she would try to make it to Grandma Hamlin's lap. And she'd say, if I made it to Grandma Hamlin's lap, I knew I was safe. And Joan says, I finally made it to Grandma Hamlin's lap one more time. Uh, she transcended time and all space because Grandma Hamlin had died 22 years before. You're clearly a messenger. You know that's that's how I see you. I mean, you've assembled all of it. You've had your own, and and we haven't yes. discussed that. But you've had your own divine intervention, including, I believe, what you would account for in this the accident or near accident in Iowa. Yes. Uh, yeah. I mean, we don't have enough time to go into that. But how does that? I mean, is there a certain responsibility that you feel, or do you see that as a gift? How do you incorporate that that messenger concept into your own life, sir? Well, you know, I, I have had some some unusual experiences, and um, after talking with the doctors, I've I'm, I've been realizing that I I've had more than I I, I thought I had. Uh, some of the coincidences in my life, bumping into people that helped me get into medical school, and and various things uh, like that. Um, and so what I've done uh, is, is try to um, analyze my own life on an ongoing basis to see, uh, and, and I see things that, that happen that are more than coincidental, a little premonition about a patient, um, 
something, uh, a, a, a happenstance meeting with someone else. Uh, and then some of these things you don't even realize, uh, a kind word to someone, uh, that uh, uh, five or ten years later they come back to you, uh, to you and say, you know, that kind word that you said to me changed my life. I realized that I could do this particular job and I took it and, and so forth. So uh, I, uh, what, I'm, what I'm trying to do is be more aware of my environment, what's happening around me, and realize that, the, the, that literally the hand of God in my life. That's good advice, I believe, for all of us. We have about 45 seconds, and I want you to take advantage of that to tell everybody where they can get your book, how they can learn more about you. Uh, Amazon.com uh, is where our, our book is published, and um, our, e- our uh, website is physiciansontoldstories.com. It has some stories in it and just some actually some nice videos of some of the stories, too. So physiciansontoldstories.com. And then the book can be purchased through Amazon. And uh, Alden, thank you for having me. This was a great experience. I appreciate it. It's been indeed our pleasure. And if you've got another volume of this coming, I, I, I've got to have a copy, a signed copy. Are you working nurses, on another one? Nurses are, are is the next. And I, if anyone has any stories, nurses or physician stories, I'd be, I'd be glad to receive them. You can get it, give them to us through the website. How wonderful. Well, I want to thank you, Dr. Kobaba, for your work and especially for your willingness to share so openly with us. Well, we've come to the end of another episode of Provocative Enlightenment. I want to thank all of you for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed our show and will join us again next week, same time and same place. And do tell your friends and let's have them join us as well. Remember, the book is Physicians' Untold Stories by Dr. Scott J. Kobaba. Get a copy. All right, wherever you are in the world, remember, until next time, believing in yourself always matters. Provocative Enlightenment has been brought to you by Progressive Awareness Research and other sponsors. Provocative Enlightenment is a syndicated show and appears on other networks. For a schedule of showtimes, visit ProvocativeEnlightenment.com. If you're interested in becoming a sponsor, write to Eldon at eldentaylor.com.